Hello and welcome to Capital Ideas. This is where we sit down with members of the Washington State House of Representatives to give listeners an inside look at important aspects of how their citizen legislature works and who and what it's working for. We're speaking today with State Representative Eric Pettigrew. Eric represents Washington's 37th legislative district, which hugs the southwestern shoreline of Lake Washington and stretches from South Capitol Hill down to Renton. He chairs the House Health and Human Services Committee and has a coveted seat on the Budget Writing Ways and Means Committee as well. Welcome, Representative, and thanks for taking the time to join us here on Capital Ideas. Thank you, Dan. It's, it's good to be here. I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked several other people. The 2010 legislature is now several weeks in the rearview mirror, and most people are saying that it was the most difficult they've ever dealt with in their legislative careers. How would you characterize it? I did definitely the same way. You know, this was my eighth legislative session. And uh, by far, it was uh, the most difficult given the budget situation and figuring out a way to make ends meet. As chair of the Health and Human Services Committee, certainly you saw some of the things that are most dear to you take a big hit on the budget, uh, along with just about everything else in the state budget. Can you talk a little bit about that and about what the future might hold for some of Washington's most vulnerable citizens? Kids, seniors, maybe uh, the homeless who might be counting on the state's social safety net as something that they really do depend on for their very lives. As uh, I was saying, it was a very difficult session because of the budget situation that we had. And our committee in particular went through a real specific process that started long before the session began where we start looking at uh, all programs and, and really categorizing them by programs that definitely help people and, and, and have an impact in communities to some of the essential programs. In the previous session, we went through a very similar process where we had to make a number of reductions related to human services. But this one, we had to take an even closer look at some of the programs that we were doing and actually look at ways of doing less of it, and specifically around services for seniors you know we were really looking closely at how we could manage helping seniors stay in their homes without forcing uh, families to make some tough decisions and putting them in nursing homes we had to make some really difficult decisions related to support for child care how much we'd be able to support families that are struggling in these tough times it's a very difficult process, and actually we're, we're anticipating that the next session, unfortunately, is going to be somewhat uh, as difficult, and we're going to start the same process again pretty soon. As the chair of that committee, but as a member of the Ways and Means Committee, I would imagine that you were in a position to fight some pretty good fights for some of these things that uh, you're dealing with over here in the committee that you're in charge of. Right. Then you bring those priorities into the Ways and Means Committee. Could you talk about how basically working on the inside of this multi-billion dollar budget, what's that experience like? You know, I mean, the the real uh, battles were within our own committees, you know, just trying to figure out how to prioritize. And then once we got it into the Ways and Means Committee, there weren't that many fights. I mean, people really saw the importance of trying to make ends meet and everybody actually pulled together to add brain power and figuring out how we could uh, support some of the decisions that we had to make in our committee. So it was it was actually compared to the other Ways and Means Committee years that I've worked on. I've been on Ways and Means for about four years now. This was probably the, the one where we were all like in, almost in step with uh, the decisions and the advocacy for uh, particular areas of the budget. Several times, Republicans have stood up on the House floor and mentioned that they 
had enjoyed working with you, that they had somehow found a common purpose with you. Do you want to talk a little bit about working with the minority in what really has been a very contentious session with a a lot of headbanging going on? My relationship across the aisle started almost day one out of necessity when I first got to the legislature, because if you hear my story, I tell people that I had never talked to a Republican that I knew about. And so I was struggling with, you know, what do I say? How do I interact with this other group of folks who think totally different than me? And and it really boiled down to just working with people on a personal level and really getting to know uh, some of their issues and the reasons why they were here in Olympia and, and understanding their communities a little bit more. And and uh, that made it a lot easier to have them understand what my issues were and understand my community. And I think that relationship has continued on in my eight years. I really can see the issue, you know, whereas before animal nutrient management was not anything that uh, was on my radar screen, uh, but is something that's uh, really important to me now because it's something that's important to people like Representative Schmidt and Representative Hinkle and the ag group of folks. And uh, and as a result, I think I've been able to get them to take a look at some of the issues that are important in my district. And we don't always agree on anything, but I don't always agree with the colleagues on my side of the aisle. But uh, I think if we can always agree to disagree and we can respect each other and understand where we are coming from, that the relationships, even in the tough times, are always going to be intact. Now, I know that we get into some interesting debates on the floor. Some of those are really sincere heartfelt. Some of them are ways to try to highlight some shortcomings, but when it's all said and done, on the most part, we're completely in understanding of of where each other is coming from, and, and we leave that kind of stuff out there. Again, as Chair of Health and Human Services, you're obviously keeping a, a close eye on federal health care reform. Can you talk a little bit about how the bill that has now become law is going to affect people here in Washington and maybe some of the agencies, the way we do business here in this state? It's kind of an interesting phase in process, you know, when everything is completely intact. We'll see a number of folks who will have some form of health care or uh, will make a decision on what what uh, what type of health care or level of health care they're going to need. And I think that's important because I think it uh, can, helps us continue the discussion around the health care issue, you know, as this has been a tremendous education opportunity for us in the state. And I don't mean just at the legislative level, but I mean for every man, woman and child to really understand how the health care system works, not only in the state, but across the country and kind of the health care decisions that we have to make. Well, Washington State is a leader in some of the ideas that we've had, you know, and I give a great deal of credit to the work that Eileen Cody's done and Senator Karen Kaiser's done over the years and uh, Congressman Jim McDermott years before, but uh, kind of positioned us in a way to um, be experts and actually advocate on those gray areas when it came to the to the uh, health care reform and uh, actually bend some of those decisions in our favor. So I think we're going to see some resources that will come our way automatically that will help us with the basic health plan, which is which is outstanding. And I think we're going to see some opportunities happen as it relates to some of the grant money that comes down on some of the ideas, some innovative ideas that we've already started to uh, to look at here in Washington State. So I anticipate that uh, although it's it's going to be there's going to be a great deal of noise around it and there's probably going to be a great deal some pain around it. But when it's all said and done, Washington State's going to be, I think, a little ahead of the curve and as far as ideas and, and moving the issue forward. One of your top priorities this year seems to have been trying to get a handle on the gang culture that has been yeah. spreading from Washington's 
bigger cities to its smaller towns. Do you feel like you've made some headway on that? As it relates to the uh, the gang issue, I think the short answer is yes. You know, one of the uh, things I was able to do was uh, uh, get a, a small amount of money, about three and a half million dollars, that went to a specific focus of the continuum in fighting gang issues, and that was what I call the street intervention part of the continuum. Of course, you have the prevention side of things where the Boys and Girls Clubs and some of the other organizations, the community-based organizations, are involved in to catch those young people before they get uh, close to the gang activity. And then, of course, at the other end of the continuum is uh, where the law enforcement is, where the laws are made and people are locked up pretty quickly and pretty swiftly once they have committed a crime. But there wasn't as much of a focus on the middle part, which was those young people out there kind of trying to make those decisions or making poor decisions or about to make poor decisions and having somebody go directly to them and uh, help give them some different direction. It's right now in an experimental stage, and there's a number of grants that are out there statewide in the community that uh, people are using different techniques to do that street intervention. So we're hoping that when that information comes back, we'll have a lot more information on, uh, on helping uh, deal with youth, at least at that particular stage. But overall, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a growing issue. I was just speaking with the folks over in Yakima and even some of the folks in the city of Seattle as they, they're seeing the long, long 90, some issues that are popping up related to uh, gang activity. And so it's something that, uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to address in every single legislative session. And we're going to have to be open to each piece of that continuum, whether it's prevention, intervention, or overall public safety and, and, uh, and laws that uh, put people in jail. This idea seems to be one that's popping up in various places. I know in Los Angeles, one of the most effective anti-gang tools is former gang members. It seems like that's the kind of person that you're talking about as far as street intervention. You know, Los Angeles actually is a good example. There's an organization called Homey Industries, I think it's called, where they take folks who actually have transitioned out of the juvenile justice system or the prison system and want to make different decisions in their lives and basically put them to work through these industries. It's a nonprofit organization, but they also have for-profit arms where they produce particular items or products for other companies, and they're paid for it as a result. And they've, sh- they've shown a significant amount of success through that. People uh, have had a chance to, to turn their lives around, which is a great example of if given an opportunity and given uh, some good direction and support that people will make uh, different decisions. And so that's the same kind of thinking I'm, I'm hoping will follow with this uh, additional money that we were able to get in, on an experimental level. This is a so-called citizen legislature. It's portrayed uh, as a part-time job. Right. The fact tends to be that most lawmakers see this as a 12-month job, whether they want to or not. How do you go about balancing the demands of being really a full-time legislator, earning a living, and having some sort of a home life, a private life as well? The very foundation of all of it is having support at those key areas. So having support from home, I get a great deal of support from my wife and and two kids there that understand uh, the work that I'm doing. And then uh, the support that I get from the company I work for, I work for Regents Blue Shield. And uh, they're very supportive and understand the time demands that are put on me as a legislator and uh, really work with me to balance three elements of my life. And and four four 
would be great. That would be just me. <laughs> but uh, those three elements. And for me personally, I just I have some very good support staff that literally I'm just looking at my calendar hour by hour and one minute I'm stepping into something related to uh, my job at Regents and the next minute I might be stepping into something related to the legislature and then the next minute I may be doing something actually for my family you know picking up my kid or something for school or taking her to uh, to tennis or soccer or whatever it is that she's got going on and just having that support off the bat and and having some good organizational support has, has been the key for me. And then I just really enjoy the work that I do in the legislature and the work that I get to do at Regents. Um, and it's all about really working with people and working with community and helping people. And, and if you didn't love any of this stuff, you would have a very difficult time getting up every day and uh, and putting the effort and the energy into it. But I absolutely love what I do, and I know that uh, helps fuel me. But having the support of others is really the bottom line, is the foundation for any success I have. We're just about out of time here, and I want to ask you before we shut it down, if there's anything I haven't brought up that you haven't brought up but that you'd like to, to talk about here before we close up. It's kind of interesting. After the session ends, you have this period where it's like a complete low. After a while, I start coming out of that and um, thinking about what's coming up this next session. And right now, what's heavy on my mind is uh, anticipating what the economy is going to be doing and and helping people get back to work and and seeing if we can get some uh, additional support actually from the federal government to help us make ends meet one more time. As difficult as it is going to be, I'm actually looking forward to uh, this next session. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. I know you've got a a town hall meeting that's going to start in about 10 minutes. So I want to turn you loose here. Thank you very much, Eric, for for joining us here with Capital Ideas. That is today's program. Subscribe to this podcast now and spend a few minutes a week with Capital Ideas. After all, this is your state government, and the more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats. 